listeners, here is Patricia, and I'm here to share some thoughts and insights on PBL, that is, project-based learning. I'm very excited to talk about this topic because I truly believe that working with projects is the future of education. I've seen schools throughout Brazil advertise themselves as PBL schools. I've heard teachers from all over discussing it. It is definitely a trend. And I think it is here to stay. So let's go back in time a little bit to understand PBL's origins and foundation. Needless to say, classical philosophers such as Aristotle, Confucius and Socrates were defenders of questioning, debating and critical thinking. These ways of constructing knowledge were valued then and are valued nowadays. Well, fast forward to the mid-20th century and the ideas of mainly three thinkers that helped this type of learning format to be shaped. John Dewey, Maria Montessori and Piaget. Dewey's work focused around questioning the way classes were taught at his time with abstract contents being transmitted by a teacher who detained all the knowledge and the contents were being listened by a rather passive audience of students. Yes, conflicted by that, he proposed that classes should incorporate active experiences based on real-life subjects, facts, and problems. Another thinker that held one of the keys to the transformation of education was Maria Montessori. Her work was centered on children. She was indeed ahead of her time when she argued that learning happens through interactions with the environment and that we must observe and guide the kids, not do stuff for them. Well, the third theorist that I want to dis discuss here is Piaget. His, contribu his contributions were gigantic and, to sum up here, he basically advocated for a learning process that valued interaction with others, asking questions and investigating. So, I have put some names to the face of student-centered theories. Of course, there are many more before and after them, but I think that you get the general idea and historical context of it. Also, it is safe to say that although they are quite trendy, they go way back. But let's go back to the definition. After all, what is PBL? As I as I was saying, these ideas and thinkers helped shape what we know, what... So, I have put some names to the face of student-centered theories. Of course, there are many more that came before and after them, but I think that you get the general idea and historical context of it all. Also, it is safe to say that although their methods are, are quite trendy now, they go way back. But let's go back to the definition. 
After all, what is PBL? As I was saying, these ideas and thinkers helped shape what we now know as PBL, which is a student-centered teaching method in which they learn by actively engaging in finding solutions to real-world problems through meaningful projects. If you are an English teacher listening to this, you might remember another English teaching approach called TBL, task-based learning, which is also a student-centered approach and consists in giving tasks to students as a way to promote communication inside a classroom. But not just any communication, a communication that makes sense, that talks about subjects that learners are, interest, are interested in, and that has an actual goal. We can say that PBL takes this kind of approach to another level. A project in PBL can endure for a whole semester, or even a whole academic year having numerous tools, steps and details that make the learning environment so rich and dynamic, helping students accomplish all of the Bloom's taxonomy steps and helping them to develop the 21st century skills that Natalie talked about in episode 1 of this podcast. By the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, go there! I'm sure it will provide you with much more wisdom and insights. Okay, but what are those tools and steps that I talked about? Well, sometimes as teachers can be confused or lost, not knowing where to start applying this approach in our classes. Oftentimes having a guidebook, a given work material, or a script of, of classes containing presentation, practice and production, all of this can come in handy. But I assure you, if you are trying to implement PBL in your classes, follow these steps and you won't get lost. Step number one. First, you need to know your students. When you've had a few classes with them, maybe ask them to write their interests and personal problems in post-its and ask for them uh, to attach them in the board. Try to find a theme for the project that encompasses most of your students' interests. By doing this, you assure that the proposing of the theme will not be boring for them. Step number two. A project in PBL method usually has a driving question. This will be the question that gives meaning to the project. A good driving question arouses the interest of everyone and gives them the sense of challenge. This question will be answered with the final product or outcome. Step number three. Students will need to form groups, design a plan, create a schedule, and negotiate the criteria for the final evaluation. Teacher helps and facilitates these processes, which are all made by students. Step number four, the need to knows. 
Students have to begin somewhere. They have to access what they already know about the subject and what they are yet to know. Hmm. And how will they get there? This is an opportunity to encourage research. Step number five. Monitor and guide the learners through the project and the preparation for the final presentation using realistic objects, resources, techniques and activities. Step number six. Organize a final presentation to a real audience. Maybe someone important for the school community, like a local politician or an expert on the subject that is to be presented. At the end, ask students to evaluate their own evolution during the project. All of the steps that I mentioned here are not to be taken as something settled. They are means and tips to successfully do PBL. By listening to these steps and tips, you might be wondering, well, students do everything? How can I know when to intervene or when to find a teaching moment? Hmm. Well, the teacher's role in a PBL classroom is to be a coach, a guide. It is to scaffold them to learning what they need to learn in order to accomplish the goals of the project. But if you are a teacher, and if you see the group malfunctioning, a group malfunctioning, one of your groups in the PBL, or having trouble being stuck, you can use moments like this to maybe do a presentation, or even ask someone from another group that is, good, that is doing great to go there to the malfunctioning group and give feedback, provide them with new ideas. You see, the great thing about PBL is that, as a teacher, you can sit back and relax while your students do all the work. <laughs> Just kidding. Your job is to keep observing, accessing, finding those teaching moments, providing them tools and activities that will navigate them to their, ob to their objectives while you keep measuring their growth during the whole time. Yeah, seriously now, facilitating PBL's classes is hard work. You have to guide and think of a whole project, stay always alert to what's happening in all of the groups, facilitate meaningful learning experiences, and provide your students with the right tools to do the given tasks. Yeah. It might seem initially confusing, but is ultimately rewarding. Plus, it gives you enormous possibilities to work with subject matters that speak to your heart and hopefully win some of your kids' hearts as well along the way. Also, it is amazing as it promotes cooperation between classmates, builds a sense of purpose and, challenge to and challenges the, pu the pupils, promotes their critical thinking and engages them in active roles as they solve interesting and real problems. Okay, we've talked about the history behind PBL, its definition, positive points and steps. But 
as everything in life, PBL is not all roses. Well, my teacher friends, at this point I have to address the elephant in the room. How can PBL be effective in teaching English as a second language? After all, it doesn't focus primarily on the language. It focuses on the project's objectives. Okay, one way to overcome that is to drive the theme of your project to something connected to the culture of the target language, or a theme that uses language itself, like for example, how can we produce an effective speech on the urgency of fighting climate change? Students will have to understand all of the aspects of a great speech, We'll have to practice theater techniques, maybe. We'll have to study famous historical speeches. Mm, all of that. Developing and writing skills working on that subject. Well, and if we do not use such language-based themes? We have, to, we have to keep in mind that even though the theme is not directly connected to a target language, the means to work on it will be using it and the tools provided by the teacher will use it too. In this way, the language will be acquired in a natural process. Speaking about natural, it reminded me of Crescent's theory, the natural approach for language acquisition. According to him, the second language is acquired the same way we acquire our first language, by listening and being exposed to it, then speaking. PBL gives plenty of opportunity for communication in meaningful contexts that speak directly to pupils' interests and, well, this alone should get this learning environment covered. Maybe grammar, vocabulary, and formal language structure are left behind sometimes. But we as teachers can always mix the methods or use the teaching moments I've talked about earlier for when the need should come. Overall, I believe it is a great teaching method as it helps develop a wide variety of skills promote interest in the learning process, and shifts the responsibility of acquiring knowledge to the student, making them real protagonists. In spite of all the difficulties, I invite all teachers who can to embrace PBL and its wonders. That's it for today. Thank you for listening and being with me for these few minutes. See ya!